you really got to design your tools around what's going to help your salespeople be more productive. And once they see the benefit of having marketing automation in place that increases their sales and makes it easier for them to hit their quota and really all that effort they put into making connections and new contacts starts to pay off, then, you know, then you start to get buy-in. You're listening to Real Marketing Real Fast, the only podcast that brings you unfiltered, undaunted, insider information on the latest tools and technologies for online marketers. Prepare to dive deep into marketing myths, breakthrough models, and cutting-edge strategies that will have an immediate impact on the growth of your business. And now, here's your host, marketing expert, Doug Morneau. Well, welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Today, we're going to talk about all things marketing, and my guest in studio today is Bill Bice. He has been an entrepreneur. He started his first company at the age of 14, putting him on the road uh, races with corporate sponsors. At 18, he started ProLaw Software, uh, which was the first integrated ERP software for law firms. After that, he sold his company to uh, Thomson Reuters. Bill became a venture capitalist as a founding partner in the Verge Fund, and he's been investing in high-tech, high-growth companies in the Southwest. One of the core things that Bill has learned in building and investing in companies is that the go-to-market is always the hardest part of growing any business. With that, he got so frustrated in trying to find great marketing companies for the companies that he was investing in and working in that he decided to tackle the problem himself. Programmer at heart, Bill founded Boom Time, which uh, tackles marketing as a technology problem. It turns out that when you follow the data, real good things happen. And that's why Boomtime built the world's first marketing as a service platform called Fuse. Uh, Boomtime's marketing strategists follow the data. They have always known what will work instead of all, uh, always reinventing the wheel. So I think you're going to enjoy the conversation today and you're going to want to listen really close because Bill's going to drop a number of value bombs and some information uh, as we talk about how to build and market your business and get it to the marketplace and do what works over and over again. But listen when he mentions uh, one of the terms called mailbox mining. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Bill to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today. Well, hey, Bill, I'm super excited to have you on the Real Marketing podcast today. So welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here with you. So I really enjoyed looking at your background and how you've transitioned um, what you're doing and, and created a new company to solve a problem that you had. So do you want to share a little bit of your background with our audience of, you know, kind of how you get started and, and you know, how you worked that process to come to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a programmer at heart. I wrote the, the uh, initial platform for my, for my first company, which was an ERP system for law firms and corporate legal departments. And I started that when I was 18. I had no idea what I was doing, so I wasn't smart <laughs> enough to, to not do it. So I just dove in and I was, you know, literally at 18, walking into the corner office of the managing partner at a law firm and convincing him to buy the software that I was working on the, the night before. And so it was, you know, sales training by fire. And, and since then, so I sold that company to, uh, to Thomson Reuters. I mean, eventually got a great team and we, we really built a, a great company there and started a, uh, joined a small VC fund on, on the way out of uh, Thompson. And so I've now invested, I've, I've built, invested, been on the board of 27 companies. 
And, you know, go to market is just, that's where the, that's where the friction is. Like I, I wouldn't get involved in a company if we didn't have a, a great product or service and a big enough market to, to make it worth going after. And so all of that work, that hard work of, of creating that company and taking care of your customers, that's really just the table stakes to then see, to get the opportunity of, okay, can you do the go-to-market right? And when I look back on that history, the companies where we really did that well and we focused on it, those, of course, are, are where we got the biggest wins. And it's just, it's a very frustrating thing from the business owner's perspective to get great marketing for your companies. All, you know, all the options have, have challenges. Yeah, and it, it doesn't matter, uh, you know, what tactics you're using these days. It seems like it just takes a few minutes and there's a new one that's popped up and somebody's ranting and raving that that's where we all need to rush off to. That's the new uh, silver bullet. Yeah, and I really have a challenge with that because what, what I have seen and in my experience, what I see in the data, because, you know, as you know quite well, marketing, is, I mean, it's all about the data and it's consistency that, that really makes it work. So constantly changing, I mean, the tactics they do have to change. You have to match what's happening in the market. But the core strategy, you've got to stay consistent because it's a long-term play. And if you don't do that, I mean, that, that's the hardest problem the businesses have is is executing on that day-to-day in the trenches work to get their marketing done. And that, that consistency is what makes it work. So can you walk us through an example of, you know, some of the challenges that you face? Like you said, you're, so you're looking at, you know, investing in a company and then getting a go-to-market. So why don't you just explain what the go-to-market piece looks like for our audience that might not understand or be familiar with that term? Yeah, so what, I've done a lot of work in startups, most most of the businesses that I'm working with. So I, I love sitting down with a business owner and, and asking them, so where, you know, where'd your last couple of new clients come from? And they say, oh, it was a referral from, that's exactly what I want to hear because a business like that who has done that hard work of, of creating those table stakes, that's the kind of business where you can apply a, a great marketing strategy and, and produce really great results for them. And so we've, we've really ended up focusing in the B2B space. It's the, the techniques are actually, you know, well-known. We, we're not inventing any of these things. We're looking at what are, you know, what are really big, there's always somebody bigger in your space. They've spent millions of dollars figuring out what works in that area. The hard part is figuring out how do we, okay, how do we make that for work for a smaller company? How do we put scale and efficiency into it so that we can get an ROI on it? And, and so looking at what innovative companies are doing, what the big guys are doing, and then just putting scale into that is, is really how we've tackled this problem of how do, I, how do I really get a return on my investment in marketing? How do I make the long-term commitment that's required to, to make it work? And you know, in B2B, if you, just, if you set up the, the core of your marketing program between your website, email marketing, and, and LinkedIn, and really understand the customer journey between those things, you can produce really amazing effects. I mean, I, I love how much you talk about email marketing because that, that is, that's what actually produces results. Well, I, that's why I talk about it. It's funny because people go, why do you talk about email all the time? I said, because it works. And then the minute it stops working, um, if we can't make it work, then we'll we'll replace it with something else. But it's just, you know, it's part of the mix, like you said. It's not everything. It's just a piece. Yeah, and it, it's, a, it's a crucial piece because it's sort of what brings the closure to, to the to the process of getting somebody really involved. We, we've got to build our audience. And these days, LinkedIn is such a perfect place to do that. I mean, it's like going back in time and getting to start in at Facebook 10 years ago. And that's, that's really the state that LinkedIn is in right now. And so if, if you're B2B or selling to the professionals that are on LinkedIn and, and you're not putting a tremendous amount 
of effort into LinkedIn, then you're just you're just missing out. Well, you're the second person who's who's I've spoken to in the last week that has used the analogy of LinkedIn today is where Facebook was 10 years ago. And if you're not in, you're missing the opportunity. Yeah. And, and it's it's such an ideal time period because their algorithm is really simple, just like Facebook was at the beginning. So this is the time to, to go in and, and get get your network built, get your audience, create a, a brand and a presence on LinkedIn because it's much, it's much easier to do it today than it will be next year, the year after, and so on. So what's the typical story of a business owner that's you know trying to get some traction uh, when you talk to them? It's almost always the same, which is the They've had they've built a great business. Things have slowed down a little bit. Don't totally understand why that is, and it's really that that word of mouth is what was working for them because they really focused on taking care of their customers. But these days, that is it's more difficult to get that tried and true approach to really work. We've, we've got to amplify that effect of word of mouth digitally, and 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 that's what LinkedIn and email is is so powerful for. If, if you don't stay in front of your audience, and I really think the the audience that a business owns is the is almost always the most undervalued asset they have. So all the clients and prospects you've ever talked to, that's your audience. And if you're not constantly staying in front of them, then you're losing. You know that asset is devaluing every day. Sure. And so that, that's the easiest marketing to do, and yet the vast majority of companies don't do it. Yeah, I, the old saying: it costs ten times more to get a new customer than keep an old one. And then you look at the budget, and, it's a, and the budget's allocated a hundred percent to new acquisition. You're going, hmm, that doesn't match. Exactly, and, and everybody wants new lead generation, and yet it's so much easier to leverage the audience you already have, and then it will start growing organically if you're doing the right things with that audience. If you're really creating an engagement, and if and if you avoid the thing that that I consider the number one mistake in marketing, which is talking about yourself, no, nobody cares. Yeah, I, I, I fall down that uh, trap often. I mean, they, like you said, people are looking for a solution. They don't really care what your tactics are, or how long you've been in business or how big your portfolio is. They're just looking to solve their problem and which might be just, you know, getting enough business to keep paying the rent and say, keep pay payroll. Yeah. And so if you talk to them about their problems, which you have a unique perspective on because you you're working, you know, whatever that whatever your target niche is you're working with hundreds or thousands of businesses like them. And so you've actually got great perspective on the market that the, the CEO business owner and one individual business just can't have because they're, you know, they're running their business. And so if you take the approach of, well, I'm going to bring really valuable insight to my audience and I'm going to help them. I, you know, I want it so that if, if somebody sits down with one of, you know, one of our business development folks that they're better off in how they're going to go execute on their marketing what, you know whether they ever become a client or not. You you want your prospective clients to have exactly that same experience in any time they work with your company. Yeah, I mean that totally makes sense. Now you mentioned something uh, just a minute ago, and you said it's all about the data. So what does that uh, what does that translate? What does that mean? So that that I think is the biggest advantage in in marketing these days, right? So I I always joke that that it, and this was you know particularly when I'm on the the business owner side trying to get great marketing. Like the reason somebody goes into marketing is because they don't want anybody to tell what they're doing. And in these days, it's actually just the opposite. We have too much data and we know how every dollar is being spent, particularly if we're, if we're talking digitally. We know every engagement we're creating. We, we have the ability to know absolutely everything. So the hard part is, is actually using that data, turning it in information and iterating on what we're learning from that and constantly getting better. And, most, you know, most marketing departments, most companies aren't, aren't actually that good at it. They've got a ton of data, but actually using it so that you're constantly getting better, that, 
you know, that is the hard part. Now, do you have a, um, a system or tools that you use to bring all those silos together? So if you look at email, you're probably using one system. You may have an email system in addition to a CRM, and then you've got your social platforms. And then, like you said, then you've got LinkedIn. So you've got all these silos of data. So how do you, how do you, you know, get a, a good view of that and, and be able to learn and leverage? Yeah, that is exactly the problem. And, and your larger competitors, they have put in really high-end tools that allow them to pull all that together. So we set out to solve that problem and ended up creating our own, which, which is essentially a marketing automation platform. It's really marketing as a, as a service called Fuse. So we can pull all those pieces together. It shows through to our clients, but it's really for us to use in order to, to be better at delivering marketing as a service. And that's what gives us that holistic view. So, you know, we, we look at it as, as the customer journey. We want to see it across all of those different channels where we're touching that same person and understand what's working and, and, and how it all ties together. And it's really difficult to do if it's in those silos. It's basically impossible. You've, you've got to make the investment in pulling all that together. And, you know, a lot of companies do custom work around that. A lot of people kind of fake it and pretend that they know what the heck's going on. But if you don't really get an aggregate view across that, you're going to have a really tough time understanding what's going on. And then the thing that I love about what I do is that since we're doing this for several hundred companies, I get all that data across all these companies. And so we see the, you know, we see the trends much more quickly than even if you're great at it in one company, you just don't have enough data. No, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, one of the benefits of using, you know, in the email world, using a big email service provider is they have all this aggregate data from all their clients and they will share the reporting in terms of best time to send, time to open, average click-through rates, average bounce. So you can compare yourself without seeing other people's information of what, you know, what's acceptable or where other people are at. Yeah, and that's enormously valuable. And if you spend all your time, you know, designing emails and, and crafting subject lines and content and following the data on that, and you're doing it across, I mean, we, we you know, we're we're a small, fast-growing company. We send about two million emails uh, a month, and and what we learn from that is just is just incredible. So, what advice would you give business owners in terms of allocating resources to marketing? You know, I'm not asking because you've got the experience of uh, you know several uh, several businesses that you started an exit with Thompson, and then now you're looking at you know investing in other businesses. So, from a, a VC point of view, which obviously is a is a great way to think of how do I how do I build my business and exit? What uh, what would you tell them to do? Well, so I, you know, I'm going to emphasize the same theme over again because the the, the crucial. That's okay if it's right. <laughs> if it's right, it's right. Right. Yeah. Don't apologize. If if there's a right way of doing it, that's the direction we should go, and maybe we need to hear it three or four times. Yeah, the the crucial mistake, and this is one of the things that, that really frustrates me about the discipline of marketing. So it's you know it's really difficult to find great marketing talent, and I see this over and over again. You bring in the new marketing director, and they tell you, oh, the last person, you know, they just they were an idiot. We're going to we're going to start over. And it's you know, it's really the worst thing that you can do because you've 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 got to have consistency in your marketing. It's the only thing that's going to work. It doesn't mean you don't evolve over time. But I you know, I would much rather have a company with a horrible logo and an outdated tagline that takes care of their customers and has an audience we can talk to because we just execute on that in the trenches. We're going to get so much more value than doing a huge rebranding effort and those are the kinds of things that that it's easy to get excited about and involved in and yet it's the it's that consistency the day-to-day -day work just constantly staying in front of your audience that you know what we see in the in the results and the results for our clients that's that's what actually works 
what I think is interesting is that you uh, you talked about LinkedIn being a key tool, and now you know we're kind of being that we're in this time when everybody wants to be a LinkedIn expert, or at least that's what it seems to me. I, I can't count how many pitches I get for people who want to set appointments for me. But I mean, you're not talking about that. You're talking about making this part of, you know, integrating this as part of your plan, not just going off and creating just a LinkedIn plan. So can you share a little bit on how you use LinkedIn with the rest of your methods and processes to, to help your clients? Yeah, we see a lot better results when you, when you tie it all together. It's not that you won't get value by just going out and, and, and building a network, but you, you really, so LinkedIn to me is like the ideal networking event because I get to invite exactly who I want to meet and I don't have to eat a bunch of empty calories while I'm there. <laughs> yeah. So it's just the ideal way to expand your audience. But that's that's what you're accomplishing with LinkedIn. If if you don't have a great strategy behind how you're going to be a thought leader in your niche, then you know getting that audience isn't isn't going to help you any. So you really have to have this larger strategy of okay. How, how are we going to go out and help the prospective clients that we want? How are we going to build that audience that we own and control, whether it's the connections that we have for each of the executives on LinkedIn, for the email list that we're building, for the website traffic that we have? And then if you don't have a sales funnel behind that that's going to take that audience and, and convert it into interest in what you're doing, then the, you know, there's really no point in, in creating all that effort. And each step of the, of the way in that sales funnel you know, the, if you get 10% better conversion here and 5% here and 12% here, the, that adds up to a really significant change in, in what happens in your sales. You know, the, the vast majority of companies have a lot more referrals coming in than they know about because they're just not very good at capturing those leads. They're not, you know, you have, you have a sales team out there selling. And I, so this is what we do. And we have this problem. I can't get all my salespeople to actually use our CRM and enter everybody that they come into contact with. So if you just do that, if you actually capture all of the connections that you're making. So we, we developed a solution to that problem called Mailbox Mining, where we go and look through the email accounts of everybody who's customer facing the business and find all the new contacts that they're making and add them to the CRM and add them into a marketing automation so that you're getting a level of built-in follow-up that happens with every contact that you make, no matter what. Because salespeople are just human. They're going to talk to the people who are going to affect their commission check in the next 30 to 60 days. And yet you could have just met somebody who is the ideal client six or 12 months from now. And a ton of those opportunities just get lost. So if, if we just get better at that sales funnel and increasing conversion at every step of the way, I mean, the, it's obvious the results that you get from that. Well, I think it's interesting. You know, I, I've never heard anybody share that, that, that you um, take the responsibility to make sure that that information gets entered into your CRM. Yeah, I mean, it's really frustrating. So one, you know, most CRMs are built for the sales manager and not the salesperson. So I don't entirely blame salespeople for not wanting to use CRM because it's just this like extra thing I've got to do. And so you, you really got to design your tools around what's going to help your salespeople be more productive. And once they see the benefit of having marketing automation in place that increases their sales and makes it easier for them to hit their quota and really all that effort they put into making connections and new contacts starts to pay off, then you, know, then you start to get buy-in. And then what we're really getting into is this, you know, just the classic division between sales and marketing. We just, we have to tackle that head on. And, and we honestly have a huge advantage in that regard because at working as an outsourced marketing department, we often have a much easier time creating great alignment with the sales team. And, you know, that produces great results. 
Well, I mean, I think that's such a great investment. I had a friend of mine was the general manager of a really large car dealership and they had implemented this big CRM system and he was complaining that his sales staff weren't entering in all their contacts. I said, why don't you just hire somebody, pay somebody, get somebody in, a girl just to do data entry. Oh, I'm not paying to have somebody do that after we spend all this money on the CRM and my sales guy should do that. I'm going, so if they leave tomorrow, quit, get fired, get run over by a bus, you've lost all their contacts. Yeah, the... the it's like black logic so, there is amazing. Not not so good. Yeah, so it totally makes sense. Like, and I, the other thing I heard you say was, you know, what can you do to make you know the help the salesperson do their job better? So it wasn't about saying, hey, you have to sit down to pick your you know inserts here. I'm here and do this. Is what can we do to help them? And once they see the results of sales automation, then they understand that hey, I make more money this way. Absolutely, and so many salespeople put a lot of their time and effort into building their own sales materials because they figured out what works for them. And so if, if you go and, and actually talk to your salespeople and figure that out <laughs> and then have your, your marketing team produce that for them. So sure. you know, I'm a big fan of the challenger sale. And one of the pieces of data that came out of Gartner's research in that is that the top performing salespeople spend a third of their time building their own marketing materials. Well, why don't we do that for them, which we're in a much better position to do anyway. And, and then suddenly our top performers have a third more time to sell. Yeah, and they're going to have a better quality sales product because that's what you do. Absolutely. I mean, they're not yeah. doing it because they want to. Uh, otherwise, they, they probably wouldn't be a, a top performer. It's just it's necessary in order to be successful. And that, that really tells you something. So can you share with us a, a client story of how you helped them kind of transition from where they were to a better, a better place? Well, yes, I'm going to use a real inside one because I think it's really kind of ironic, which is that despite the fact that this is what we do, until we started treating ourselves as a client, we didn't really take off. And it's the, you know, the classic cobbler's kids shoes thing. And so when, when I made the choice to give credit to one, to, to one of our marketing strategists and treat ourselves exactly like a client and actually, cause it was the same problem. We were having a tough time getting, cause I it just, you know, you're running the business. It's really difficult to spend the, so just the LinkedIn efforts we're talking about, you know, your best practice is you need 30 to 45 minutes a day every day on LinkedIn. And that's really tough to do if you were running a company. Sure. And, and so it was just amazing seeing the results for ourselves when we started doing exactly what we tell our clients to do and exactly what we do for them, <laughs> started doing yeah. it for ourselves. And so it was, it was just a great way to, to actually see it happen. And that, you know, that daily effort is, is completely worth it. Whatever it is you're doing in, in your marketing, you have to find a way to, to make that happen. So let's just shift gears a little bit. So, you know, you're helping businesses to, you know, kind of reach their sales and marketing goals. What, so how do you structure your relationship? So what's, you know, what would this look like if someone's going to engage with you or look at your, your firm and, and compare marketing firms? What's this, what should they be looking at? Yeah, so we're, we're really not, we're not a traditional marketing agency. We're, we're really trying to solve this sort of larger problem of, of normally you just throw bodies at the problem in marketing. That's how you get more marketing done. You, you hire more people. And so we typically work with a company that either has hired their marketing director and now needs bandwidth to execute on their strategy, or we are their full outsourced marketing team. Because in reality, you, you can't find one person who can do everything that, that you need. And if you rely on that, you, you, you know, you get a hammer and everything is a nail. So you realistically have to have a team of three or four people in order to execute on a full marketing strategy. And that's very difficult for a, you know, two million, five million dollar a year company to invest in. Or you've got to hire a marketing agency for 
ten, twenty thousand dollars a month, which probably would work if you would stick it through long enough to get the results. But it, you know, from a business owner's perspective, that's a very tough thing to do. So what we've done is put a lot of automation into the process. You, you can't automate it entirely. You've got to have people who are following the data and under, you know, know what the right strategies and tactics are. And, but it's that unique combination of putting those things together that is, that's how we get scale into marketing. So, you know, we've got a basic word of mouth, you know, marketing in a, a box that is how we work with, uh, with almost all of our new, new clients that covers the basics of what we need to do. Let's get a regular flow of great content going. Let's build that network on LinkedIn. Let's have emails going out on a regular basis. Let's understand how all that's working together. Let's make sure that we've got a real sales funnel on the on the website that's that's feeding into our sales team, and so that's a sort of a standard thing. That's a foundation that that every company needs to do, and we've you know we've just done that over and over again. So we're really efficient at putting that into place. So just a a quick survey question: How often do you guys uh, email out your contacts? So we I, I love this subject because we all get too much email, and the solution to that is to send more email. <laughs> and and people don't want to hear that, but it's, it's what works. And so where two years ago, we might recommend to somebody send, you know, one, you know, 16 emails a year now are, and, and this is really more convincing the business to do it as opposed to what we really want to do. You know, we're going to move that up to 30 emails a year. So we want at least two a month and, and a few extras thrown in. And for the businesses that are willing to do it, that are putting high value content, that's really what their audience cares about then we'll do a higher frequency because because it works. If if you're actually giving value to your audience, they want to get your emails. You know, they're they're not annoyed because you're helping them. That's good. I, I just was curious. I mean, because you said you, you know, you had uh, that was part of the cornerstone or one of the offerings. And yeah, I, I moved my frequency up actually to uh, twice a week. Yep. And, and that's because you understand it. You're willing to do it. It, yep. it seems risky from the business owner's perspective we just use the data to show, look, our, our unsubscribe rate is staying steady. We're, we're getting what we want to, what we want there. We want, you know, as you've talked about, we want people to unsubscribe that are not interested in what we're doing. And so unless you see a spike in that and your engagement numbers are staying strong, you just want to keep increasing frequency and, until that, you know, starts to, to flatline. Well, and the other thing is too, I mean, you're, whether they, people read all your emails, you're in their inbox, they see your name over and over and over again. So I consider it almost like a mini PPC campaign, whether you're getting the branding and, you know, and people, you know, are busy, like you said, they get, they don't always open your emails and sometimes you'll see them binge. So just another um, area I wanted to ask you about, because I heard you mention this a couple of times and you said that people stick around long enough. So the question that I often hear is, well, how long is it going to take to get ROI? And I often find that business owners, entrepreneurs, even larger companies are very very impatient. So they've got an unrealistic expectation of what they'd like to achieve and the time they'd like to achieve it in. So I know it's a, it's a broad question, but how long do you recommend people actually roll up their sleeves and work at this and before they expect to see results? You're saying people are unrealistic about what's going to happen with their marketing? Yeah, that's, well, that's sorry for, for saying something, <laughs> stating something so obvious. Yeah, so I don't think it's worth committing to a marketing program. Like, And, and I'm talking in the context of B2B, fairly high ticket items. You know, if, if you're going to put a strategy in place and you're not going to commit to it for a year, then then you don't really have enough confidence in that strategy. And it's, it's not that you're not going to see results before that, but the it takes, it, you know, it takes a good time period for the full effect of that to, to pay off. And this kind of content-driven effort 
it it takes time to get that audience built up, get people really paying attention to what you're saying, get that to then turn into, we really look at it as social currency. You're giving people a reason to talk about you. That generates the thing that really works, which is which is more referrals. And it just, it takes time to plant those seeds. So I, you know, I, I don't want to work with anybody who's not willing to commit a year because it's just unlikely we're going to see enough value without doing that. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's I, I think of what we do as a long game. And, you know, you mentioned that you're going to start a podcast. And when I started my podcast, people said, well, how are you going to monetize it? And I said, well, I'm going to monetize it by finding, identifying and speaking to the smartest people I can in the marketing world. They, well, how do you make money doing that? I said, well, I build relationships. Well, what are you going to sell them? I said, I'm not going to sell them anything. I just want a chance to get in the minds and have the conversation that you and I are having today. And sometime down the road, there may be an opportunity for referrals or for us to work together or whatever. And people didn't understand that. And, you know, you know, months later, guess what happens? That starts to bear fruit. So do you want to share a bit about uh, your up and coming podcast with us? Yeah, so it's called B2B Word of Mouth Marketing. We're doing the, the exactly the same thing that you are. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to share the, the, all the specifics of what we do for our clients because the, although it's very valuable to understand that, the, the hard part is, is actually doing it. You know, and the and the day to day tactics change enough that you really got to stay on top of it. So I I find tremendous value in just sharing all the things that we have learned. And my bigger passion is I really believe in in small businesses. You know, it's what drives our economy. It's what employs people. It's where it's where our innovation comes from. You know, there's a reason that that in the VC world we're in the business of of investing in smaller companies. <laughs> That's right. That then get sold to larger companies because it's you know it's difficult to to work in a large company. That's why I left the large company that bought my uh, my first software company because I just I couldn't do the things I wanted to do in that environment. So this is the engine that powers everything. But yet if we don't enable smaller businesses to get more sophisticated in their marketing, it's 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 going to stop working. Well, that's really cool. So I won't ask you for a launch date, but uh, listeners will make sure that um, when Bill uh, launches his podcast, that we'll make sure that there's a shout out and comes out to you subscribers of our email list. I appreciate that. So looking forward, what are you um, most excited about in the next six to 12 months? Now, you, you know, you're a 12 month guy, so you must see lots of stuff as I do on, on everything that's happening in the marketing world, as well as the where the money is going in the VC world. Yeah, so you know, we talk a lot about AI in, in marketing, which I, I think is is a little premature at this point. But the that is a you know very exciting area. I'm all about automation in marketing, so we're constantly testing every new tool that we can get our hands on. Um, one one that I use regularly uh, right now is an, an AI assistant that does automatic follow up, which you know I think any any salesperson that is that is interested in doing a good job of making meetings, you know, having it. Having a quote assistant who's automatically going to do that work for you is that's a great example of putting AI to work right now in a way that's that's very effective. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think that it comes back down to it's not the scary thing. Like you said, it comes back down to the data. And I think if it's used right, my at least my thinking is that it's going to be a better experience for your customer, potential customer, because you'll be serving them at a level that they want to um, be served. Absolutely. So stealing a quote or a question from Tim Ferriss's book, what's the bad advice you hear in your space? Well, that we could do several podcasts on that. Well, feel, feel free. Let's <laughs> tackle a couple of them. I, I ask people, so when you're at a cocktail party and you overhear somebody having a conversation about your space and they say, what is it that gets the hair in the back of your neck to stand up and you just want to go over and slap them? 
Yeah, and the, and the thing that you mentioned is really what frustrates me the most, which is this idea that there is some silver bullet in marketing that just the latest thing, you know, we're going to pop on social media and suddenly all of our problems are going to be solved. That That is what really frustrates me the the most because you you hear so much of that that it that it creates this this expectation that perfect solution is out there and the perfect solution in marketing is this really hard work there there is that's the problem with marketing <laughs> it's hard right if, yeah. if if there were a if there were a perfect solution that it, that company would have already been bought by Google for you know 10 billion dollars and we would all know about it but instead there are literally thousands of options to help you with your marketing and that's because nobody has actually done a great job of figuring it out well, and there's so many tactics and you, what I hate hearing is people say, oh, that's dead. It's like, seriously, you know, how long did you try it for? I tried it for a week. Oh, that's, mm -hmm. that doesn't sound like a year to me. Yeah, there, there comes our one year rule again. And, and so, <laughs> yeah, if, if any of that frustrates me the most, it's for, for people saying that email marketing doesn't work. I just, I live in the data. We, we know what works. And, you know, and part of the reason that email works is, is not, not just because that approach is very effective and we're and that's how we want to communicate and it's where we spend the, you know all of our time is in email but by definition you're talking to the people who are the right target audience who are interested in you you they they're either expressed interest in your company or you've done the work to really target exactly the right audience in email and so it works because the channel's effective and it's the right audience and if you do a good job of putting the right message in front of them then, then of course it works well, and I like, you know, to connect with people on multiple platforms. I find that, you know, if you have the opportunity to talk to them on Twitter and, and on LinkedIn and on email, you know, I'm looking at each of those communication tools often, you know, differently. So when I'm on Twitter, my mind thought is, is one way. And when I'm on LinkedIn, I'm there looking at information and in reading what my, my, you know, my network's feeding me and talking to people one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Yeah, and then the more we talk about this, the more the more frustrations you you will bring out, right? So that same thing of like there is one channel or one approach that is going to work, that that is extremely dangerous because what what does work is a cross channel integrated overall view of the of the client journey. That's what works, and moving particular channels in and out is is not nearly as important as having that bigger perspective and really managing that that client journey. Well, I guess a better question is instead of what social media tool should I use, maybe the better question is what social media tool do your clients use? Yes, absolutely. Where's where's your audience? And yep. you know, and this this is an interesting area because I'm I'm really big on automation. But what we see in the the data is that so one of the ways that Facebook has dealt with all of their challenges is they've really devalued automated posts, even their own scheduled posts. So if you're doing work on Facebook and, and you care about what you're saying, you've got to put the time and effort into doing those posts manually, timely when you want to do them if you really want to get results out of them. And I think that's the really big value from people that people get, business owners get from using and working with a firm like yours is that I look at how much information comes across my desk every day and this is all I, all I do. So, you know, to be running a running a company and have departments running company and you don't have the opportunity to have your finger on the pulse and and just know that simple tactic to get more lift. Yeah. And I think, you know, there, there are young entrepreneurs that really love that that happens to be their passion. But you're, you know, you're your typical 35 year old plus business owner. That's that's just not that's not what got you to the success that you have today. It makes a lot more sense to get somebody who is an expert in that, has all the the data to follow up. I mean, the 
the specifics of how you make a post on LinkedIn, you know, you can change your engagement 4x just based on doing the post this way versus that way with with no other changes. And that, you know, that has a dramatic impact on how much of your audience you're reaching. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're not interested in 4x, then just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> And you'll keep getting what you've got. So um, I just want to say thanks so much, Bill, for taking time uh, to share with our audience today. Now, do you want to share with us the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing and what your company is doing? Yes, our website is is at boomtime.com. You can reach out to me directly at CEO at boomtime.com. I love talking to business owners and CMOs and marketing directors. This is the, you know, helping business grow is what I'm really uh, passionate about. And I'm I'm happy to to help, uh, help anyone who asks. Well, excellent. I did promise you one, my one tough question of the day, and that's who's one guest that I have to have on my podcast. So I don't know if you already know uh, Brian Burns, but I, I really like his B2B sales oriented podcast. And I think there's a, a great fit between the, what the, what the two of you do. Excellent. Uh, that'd be great if you could make an introduction. So, Hey, thanks again. Really enjoyed the conversation. I could talk about this stuff uh, all day long, but uh, I know we both have to get a little bit of work done. So could I, and I really appreciate the, the opportunity to, uh, to chat with you. It's been a lot of fun. So there you go, listeners. This is another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. And today we learned about uh, sales, sales automation, and the opportunities that are there if you will engage and look for a partner that can help you and then set a realistic goal. It's not going to happen in two weeks, three weeks. And uh, the people are telling you that clearly they're just going to take your money and we'll be gone. So I want to say thanks again to Bill and thank you for tuning in and listening. Please don't be shy. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss the next upcoming episodes. And don't uh, be shy to join our email list. If you don't like what I'm saying, feel free to unsubscribe. And we look forward to serving you on our next episode. That's all for this episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Now it's time to take your marketing to the next level by visiting dougmorneau.com and downloading our advanced marketing white papers, as well as exclusive resources based on today's episode. That's dougmorneau.com. Until next time, we look forward to serving you right here on Real Marketing Real Fast.